In James chapter 5, we have an interesting warning to the rich. What is James trying to say in this passage? What does it actually mean, and how does it apply to our lives? Join us today as our friend Mike Ligaris, pastor of the River Church in Ohio, joins Pastor Scott to talk about this very topic. to wherever you are today. Today is a very, very special uh, moment that we have that God has given us here at the Midweek Move. I have a very special guest uh, that is with us today and uh, in Ohio, of all places, up north, and um, uh, someone that I uh, have a great love for, their entire family, uh, just what they're a part of. we have known each other for quite some time now, and um, we have um, been in different places together, different states together. We uh, have done so much together, and uh, it's just a privilege and an honor today on the Midweek Move, uh, where we go line by line, man, just making a move in the middle of the week through the Word of God to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. And today, uh, God has given us a gift uh, to help us make a move uh, today in the form of Michael Ligaris. He and his wife, Tony, are lead pastors of the River Church in Warren, Ohio. Welcome to the Midweek Move, Michael. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Um, we uh, we feel like we're part of the healing place, even though we are not there in, uh, where is it that you're at? I'm just joking, Louisiana. Um, it's just, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be uh, your friend. Uh, you and Miss Tanya have been dear friends to us through thick and thin, and uh, we just so love you guys. You guys have become part of our family here at the River Church, as well as our own personal family. So uh, we love you. Much love from Ohio. Now, I know at the filming of this that we have uh, had a couple of uh, glitches. And we have gone through a couple different things. Number one, I just want to say, go blue, mm. uh, hail to the victors, Jesus um, and and all of that good stuff. And if you guys don't understand that, just Google it. I'm sure that it's uh, one of the main stories of something that happened this past weekend. <laughs> this past weekend, O-H. between Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, you shouldn't oh, no, be allowed no, 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 to. You shouldn't be allowed to. Ohio. <laughs> I forgot Ohio. You shouldn't be allowed to root for a Michigan. You live in Louisiana. Hey, listen, man, that's roots, brother. That is roots. Born, bred, man, raised. Uh, that's roots, deep roots. You know, we knew we were being raised in the early 70s in Michigan. Um, there are a couple of things that were must, and one of them was Bo Schembechler's mm-hmm. football camp. Uh, had to do that. You had to do it, man, especially early 70s. Um, and so, uh, I come by all of this, honestly, I get it. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, um, and by the way, Michael and Tony are on the precipice of being empty nesters. I know he looks super, super young and, and just, uh, he looks like he may be like 28, 29 <laughs> years old, but they are about to step into the, the world of empty nesters. How are you feeling about that? 
You know what? It's hard to imagine, uh, but we actually just found out this weekend, I haven't even talked to you since that, that our middle son, Mitchell, who goes by uh, Mookie, uh, Mookie is getting married and uh, they set a date for June 2nd. So uh, as of this time, as of this recording, um, we are going to be in-laws. I can't even believe we're going to have a a daughter in love. Yeah, you better get those holiday schedules in order, man, because that uh, we didn't have anybody at our house this Thanksgiving. So now Thanksgiving Day, you got to move that stuff around, man. Uh, My son-in-law is a football coach. They were in the playoffs. They were in New Orleans. They had to leave on Thanksgiving Day, and everybody was moving parts, and you got multiple families now. And, man, you got to do it when you got to do it. It's true. But uh, anytime you get to be with your family, it's always an amazing time. So, so yes, so we are going to dig into James today, James chapter 5. We've been on this journey in the book of James, and we have – Uh, We started way back with James uh, in the intro saying, listen, this letter is going out to the 12 tribes which are scattered. So the diaspora, dispersion, they're, they're dispersed all over the place. And one of the things that James is keying in on is that these Jewish believers have been sent all over. They have been uh, cast out. And in many uh, instances, they have been separated from their leaders. They've been separated from people who discipled them and who raised them up. And many of them are, are shallow in their faith. Maybe even uh, you can see some of his instructions. Some of them are still babes in Christ. They're still kind of yeah. learning and growing, but yet they don't have any mature leaders with them. And so a lot of his instructions that comes to them uh, many of them have been persecuted for the faith, true trials. They've gone through true sure. trials. Uh, they've been removed from everything they knew, uh, from family, from homes, all different manner of things. And so James talks to them about uh, their trials. And he talks to them about, he, he talks a lot about the rich and the poor, mm. uh, not, just in, not just in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way. And I think that's 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 key in what we're going to talk about in James five because when we think of rich and poor, we only think of physical. Yeah. Um, where Jesus taught a lot about poor in spirit, and that uh, true wealth comes through spiritual things and not things of the world. Uh, what's greater than than gold is our faith refined in the fire, and yeah. so. James is talking to them uh, about their trials. He's talking to them about how they respond in situations. Uh, he, he has talked to them about not just hearing what God is saying, but doing what God has said. Uh, he then goes into personal favoritism. Mm. He goes into favoring this person over this person. And, hey, you love that person. Man, it's really, it's really easy to love that person because they love you. But how about loving mm. this person doesn't like you very much? And, yeah, right. and so he digs into and then he. And then he really gets into their business when he starts talking about, listen, you have a weapon that can destroy people and it is in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Your tongue. And so he goes into that whole thing. And, and I think it's very interesting that he is, he is connecting pride with words. He's connecting pride with riches. He's, he's, he's bringing pride into every single thing. And then he goes into humility. Listen, humility is the cure. Humility is what you need to do. Listen, don't think about all your to-do lists. Listen, what do I need to do to stay away from the things of the world? He says, well, 
resist the devil and he will flee from you, but draw near to God. When you draw near to God, you are resisting uh, the things of the world. And then he goes into judgment. He talks about boasting. And that leads us to James chapter 5. And uh, so we pick it up in James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now we know that He's not necessarily talking straight to, you know, believers that have been under persecution, everything. He's he's kind of casting a wider net uh, because of some of the behavior patterns that have happened uh, amongst the people. And he says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And you have heaped up treasure in the last days. <laughs> That's some heavy, <laughs> heavy words, Michael. And so yeah. when you hear those words, those first three verses there in, in chapter five, what are some things that that you kind of pick out of there that kind of stand out to you? Well, yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, I love the fact that James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, starts this whole letter off uh, in James chapter one, uh, you alluded to it, but he talks about in verse two, he says that the testing of your faith produces um, without even getting into the word patience. You know, it, it we know it produces patience, but the testing of our faith produces. And um, I think that um, in light of all this, you know, it's James that talks, you know, he, he walked with Jesus. He, it, how do you, how do you not uh, write a letter, you know, from a Christian leadership perspective without leaning on what the Lord himself said, but I love how he brings faith back into, um, into the whole construct of the of the letter. You know, guys, this is, we're walking by faith here. We're not walking by sight. We're not leaning to, you know, things that he would have heard the Lord say, we're not leaning um, on what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch, what has fulfilled us, what has brought us contentment in the past, and what rich rulers have said is what really causes us to be successful, money. Um, this is what uh, the Lord even said to his disciples. He goes, look, when you become leaders, don't lord this over them. And um, I believe that in the, in the, uh, in the culture, you know, wealth was, you know, you, you see a lot of this in, 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 in different cultures, but you see the class differentiation. Uh, you see it here in America, you know, who's, who's, who's got more money. They're driving the nicer car. They're dry, having the bigger house, eating at the finer restaurants. But it, this, this culture had snuck into the church and James was addressing this. And James was hitting it right in the mouth and saying, look, this is not what the Lord taught us. Um, and, and my mind immediately goes to um, the rich young ruler that Jesus taught, uh, who approached Jesus in, um, was it Mark chapter 10, I think. And, and Jesus said, look, uh, these are the, the, what does the commandment say? And, and the rich, rich young ruler uh, just dis described all of, the, all of these things back to the Lord. And the Lord says this to him. He goes, um, look, yeah, you've done all these things uh, and it's good, but go and sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. 
It's interesting to me that uh, a lot of people look at that passage of scripture and they think, well, God wants us to be broke. He wants us to be poor. He wants all of us to have nothing. But what Jesus was trying to tell this rich young ruler and what I think James is trying to get back to is this. It's okay to have things, but when these things begin to rule your life and you begin to rule from your position of leadership, uh, others based on what they have and what they don't have, um, that's when this becomes, uh, that, that's when it becomes just uh, absolutely uh, condemnation to yourself. Um, he's writing this, um, this, con- uh, this concept again. He's telling the people, look, um, just a reminder, you can't serve God and mammon. And if you're going to lead following uh, the spirit behind money, um, you're going to take all these people off the cliff and uh, you're going to destroy them. I love what he says at the end. He says, you've lived in uh, verse five, you've lived on this earth in pleasure and luxury and have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You've, you have condemned you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. I, I mean, it's just, I mean, if we're leading from a place of it's all about the money, it's all about the nice things that we have. Um, I, that's where that, that's what I believe he's, he's getting to. He's just, again, just urging them to come back to humility, come back to, uh, the truth of the matter, which is it's all about the heart. Uh, it's not about having money or not having money, but it's, it's certainly not in having those things have you. Yeah, which is something that I was going to point out is that it's all about the motivation of heart. Everything is. It wasn't that Jesus needed everything the rich young ruler had. He wanted to know where his heart was. Absolutely. And that's where I think sometimes people have such an issue with like giving. Uh, yeah. Sometimes people will be like, oh, it's it's new covenant. You know, it's a, there's no more tithe. You know, you don't no more tithe, no more tithe, no more tithe. And I always bring up the rich young ruler. I'm like, okay, give everything then. Exactly. Whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> 10% sounds awesome now. It's like, no, the Lord is, he, he's not putting all these specifications on those things. He's leaning into your heart. He wants to know where your heart is yeah. because where your heart is, where that motivation of your heart is, if it really is all about Jesus, then the fruit of your life will show that. Yeah. The fruit of your actions will show that. The fruit of your behavior will show that. And really, that's what James is not just exposing, but that's what he's leading them back to is that, listen, I, I, I have no doubt that you love Jesus, but you have gotten off course and your heart now has been turned to things and situations based on your circumstances. Listen, our faith cannot be based on our circumstances or it's not faith. You know, exactly. faith is the substance so many people think that faith is like a um, a pipe dream. Faith is just something out there in the stratosphere. But the Bible says faith is a substance. Well, if there's substance, that's something you can build on. That's that's foundation. It's substance. There's something to it. It's not just something that's ethereal that's out there somewhere that you can't build on. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence substance and evidence that's not ethereal that's not just something that you're thinking about somewhere that's something you build your life on and so james is bringing them back and he's using language that they would have understood as jews because of a lot of these terminologies that he's using are old testament uh terminology from the prophets and the minor prophets when he talks about gold and silver corroded and and will eat your flesh like fire and and 
he, he goes into, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, mm. cry out. He said the wages of these laborers cry out, and the cries of the reaper have reached, and this is a, this is a key I wanted to get to, the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath oath. That's not the Lord of the Sabbath. No. That's the Lord of the Sabaoth, which Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 29 calls the Almighty, yeah. in which the Old Testament terminology is the Almighty, but it's also the Lord of hosts, the captain of the host, which is the armies of the Lord. This isn't Jesus as a babe in a manger. This isn't God as some comforting, loving Papa, Papa, Papa. This is, this is heavy stuff, man. This is the Lord of the Sabaoth. This is the Lord of hosts. What you have done, the motivation of your heart has made what you do corrupt. And yeah. now what you touch is corrupt. Now what you touch is defiled because of the motivations of your heart. It even kind of brings up like Romans, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter three with the church of Laodicea, where it's the only church with no commendation. Yet it's not the dead church. It's not the corrupt church. But there was a lukewarmness. And he said, in Laodicea, they had everything they needed. They said, we don't have need of anything. But what always shocked me is the fact that they didn't have water. Yeah. They didn't have water in Laodicea. They had to get it from Hierapolis, from from, from the north, and they had to get it uh, from Colossae, from the from the east. Mm -hmm. they, had to, they had to get an aqueduct from Hierapolis, the hot springs. They had to get mountainous runoff and had to pipe it in clay uh, in in uh, clay pipes from Colossae. But by the time it came from the north and by the time it came from the east, well, the cold water was lukewarm and the hot water was lukewarm. So they said, we have need of nothing, but they did not have the very thing that gave them life. Yeah. They had banking, they had garments, they had medical treatments. They had all of that, but they didn't have the thing that gave life. And what James is trying to bring them back to is, look, look, you're looking at all these things and you're looking at all this stuff. And now the fruit of that is you're treating your brothers badly. Now you favor the rich man wealth-wise over the poor man. Now your pride has overwhelmed you and you have no humility because of the motivation of your heart and the terminology he's using here in these six verses is heavy, heavy, heavy handed that they would have understood. Yeah. And I, I just want to throw this in there, too. Uh, whenever these letters or epistles would have been written to, who would they have been written to, Scott? You know this answer. They would have been written to who? Not only the synagogues and the leaders of the churches, um, some people would call them the pastors of these of these churches. I mean, the same way uh, when when the angels uh, when Jesus was uh, was giving John the Revelator the revelation, this information was being delivered to, and the Bible says to the angel of the church at um, to the angel at the church at Laodicea at, at Ephesus. These were written to the heads of those churches, right? Um, so. In so many regards, in some regards, um, this this passage or this letter was being written to the instructors, the teachers, the leaders, the spiritual uh, guides of uh, that that James was addressing. 
And um, again, just getting back to this whole concept of uh, of money and the motivation of the heart. If you began to, if these guys began to look at um, the oh, the biggest giver uh, is 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 no no longer giving, and so we've got to we've got to. Uh, persuade them. We've got to preach a message that puts a little more heat on them to give. Um, and you see this happening even in America. And that's when um, James just corrects them. And And you don't see a lot of pastors uh, preaching this message because it takes um, a spirit-led um, someone who is going to preach and hear exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's what James is doing here. James is addressing a very difficult situation and saying, look, don't look at these people and say they're, uh, that that's your provision. Um, because he is saying, um, the absolute opposite. Uh, and I've just, I just preached this, this past weekend. The, the, the crazy thing is if the biggest giver of your church left tomorrow, Pastor Scott, the most incredible thing is, the biggest giver still goes to your church. His name is God. And he is the one we are supposed to be looking at this all, uh, all through the lens of this is our provider, not money, not people. Uh, we shouldn't be looking at them with a dollar sign after their, uh, after their name. Um, it's all about faith. Indeed. Indeed. So then he, he kind of shifts gears a little bit because he's, he's really bringing this word to those among them who have, bought into this lie that, hey, we're rich, we have what we need, da 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 But then he he shifts it a little bit and he says, now again, this is written in a narrative format. It's not written in chapter, verse, we're separating all this. It is a narrative. And all of a sudden now it shifts and he says, therefore, so because of all this, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand twice now, the coming of the Lord. Like he's, he's, he's just bringing this to them that look, and, and this harkens back to what he's just told them. These riches are not eternal. They're temporary. You're looking at the wrong type of treasure. This is an earthly treasure, and an earthly treasure will bring you an earthly reward. It's not the fruit that remains. But if you're after an eternal treasure, that's the fruit you're after. I think I may have said this uh, when I was up there last time with you, and I don't remember if it was at, at, the, at the church or if it was at a men's retreat. But let's stop going after the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, like, yeah. The low-hanging fruit is an attaboy, a pat yeah. on the back, temporary yeah. earthly treasure. We're after something that we've got to climb for. We're after something we got to work for. We're after ascension to a greater fruit, which is fruit that remains. It's fruit that goes on beyond our lifetime. It's it's what spans generations. It what it's it goes beyond my children and my grandchildren. It goes into an eternal treasure. And yeah. he's telling them, listen, you are your riches and all this mindset in your heart has gone into a place where you don't even have the coming of the Lord in your context anymore. You're not even looking forward to that because you've not built anything up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He again, verse seven. He ta- he brings it all back. He's still talking about you know. I love what you just said. It's not written in chapter verse. He's still it's this it's still the same conversation. He's still talking yeah. about money, and I think that what 
what we've seen, and let me just bring it to a modern perspective. You know, so many people in church, um, especially people who have made a decision, hey, I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, in American culture, in a Western uh, mentality, there is this concept, well, I'll just, I'll put my prayer in like a quarter in a slot machine and pull the, uh, the you know, the one-armed bandit and out comes, you know, my answer. And God just brings it back. And James is again, just talking to them in language of that culture. And he says, look at the farmer. Look at the farmer. Look, if you sow like the farmer, you will reap like the farmer. And if you will trust in the process, God will always bring you a harvest. And you've gotten your eyes off of the process and off of the promise that God has given you. And you've got it on the the. The, the spirit of mammon that has lied to you and says, well, if I just had enough money, I could make it move faster. I could get things done quicker. I could build this kingdom. And he's saying, look, that's not the kingdom that we're building here. You're building one uh, that is by faith, and it's not by according to what you're seeing here uh, by sight. Yeah, because a true farmer, when a true farmer plows a field and when a true farmer plants seeds in that field and walks in after a 14 hour day or a 16 hour day in the middle of the hot sun and is weathered. When that farmer looks back at that field, that farmer doesn't see an empty field. Mm -mm. That farmer sees a harvest because the farmer understands that the harvest is in the ground and he's doing what he needs to do to reap that harvest. When, when someone who's not a farmer looks back at their work and their toil, quote unquote, they see an empty field. All they see is an empty field. And now they think that what they've worked for somehow doesn't matter because they're not being patient. They're not Mm. allowing that seed to take root. And so James then goes in to say, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, Man, he's taken all these back to now. These Jews know exactly what he's talking about. Oh yeah, I love the fact. I love the fact in the epistles, and 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 in the New Testament that whatever crowds being talked to, they're always using those things that they would absolutely know that would hit just rock bottom. Yeah. David, I mean, uh, uh, Peter does it immediately in Acts two at the yeah. feast. He's like. David, he like immediately he talks about David or immediately they talk about Abraham, like the father of the faith. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Okay, let Moses like like and Jesus even did it with the Pharisees. He always brings them back, not to the religion of being a Jew, but to things that they understand to use those things to teach them uh, a lesson. He says, um, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Man, when you talk about deals, you talk about pride, you talk about ambition, you talk about worldliness, you talk about contracts, you talk about making money, all these things. He says, you let your yes be yes. And your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. He yeah. says, listen, you need to be careful because your heart has been everything before this moment right here. He has written about their heart and the motivation of their heart and some behavior patterns that it's taken them into. And now he says, listen, 
do not swear, do not make an oath either by heaven or by earth. And they understood what a binding oath was and a non-binding oath, according to the Old Testament. They understood that binding oath, non-binding oath. And he says, uh, either by heaven or by earth with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, just jumping back even to verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Um, I think he's just referring back to the process, you know, and this whole thing where they were trying to, and I think even to a degree, I mean, that's why this, this chapter is so relevant to today, even um, we've got so many people in, uh, you know, in the world, especially in the church today, um, who want to rush the process. And what I love, what he just comes right out and says, and, and indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. Perseverance speaks to the, um, I'm not going to quit. I know what God said. I know he That's promised. Right. And again, he's just tagging faith in this whole thing. He's saying, look, get your eyes back on what matters. If your faith is sincere, it's going to start with Jesus. It's going to build on Jesus. It's going to end with Jesus. Stop getting your eyes off of everything else and looking at money as your, as your source, looking at the process. If I just work hard enough, this will provide me salvation. He's getting everything back to Jesus. And he's, he's saying, look, it's going to take some stick to itiveness. It's going to yep. take some perseverance. It's going to take some patience. And, yep. um, and then he just says, look, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's going to provide all that they need according to his riches and glory. We know this because we've seen the other letter, but these are principles that Jesus would have taught that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that James is now teaching, uh, the yep. people at the same time, just let your yes be yes, follow Christ and, um, and trust, trust in the process. And there have been two words in my heart, uh, especially in the last month. And they're basically the same. And that is resolute and resolve those mm. two things to be resolute, to resolve that you are going to serve the Lord. That yeah. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, I am resolved. I am resolute. Because my foundation is not man, my foundation is not money, my foundation is not a job, my foundation is not Peter, <laughs> it's not Petros, it's Petra. Yeah. It's, it is the revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the foundation, and the cool thing about it is I'm just a living stone, and he's the one building it, and he's in it, he fills it. He's, he's the foundation. He builds it. He fills it. He's all in all. And I'm just a living stone. I'm just a part of this body that points to the head. We've, we've got a, we've got this disjointed, unidentifiable body that says they're the body of Christ, but they're not the body of Christ because Christ isn't the head. The yeah. body doesn't point to itself. The body points everything to the head and the body is not identified by itself. The body is identified by the head. Who is the head? That's the identity. And that's one of the yeah. greatest, uh, that's one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy to remove our identity or get us confused about our identity. And is one of the greatest uh, challenges for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our day is to point people back to their identity in Jesus, because almost every single issue that we see happening in the world today goes right back to identity. Amen. Amen. Um, quick, quick story. And I know we're, we're going to move on, but Tony and I were recently in a, uh, we were in a worship setting uh, with Pastor Andre Van Zell, and um, 
uh, there, he had a worship leader that was just, just worshiping the Lord in the night, the one night worship. Um, he launched into, uh, the bridal march of all songs. Can you imagine that? Like we're in the heart, in the thick of just going after Jesus. And all of a sudden he launches into the bridal march and you know, the song, dun, 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 dun right. And, um, Tony and I were talking about it afterwards and I looked at her and I'm like, yeah, that was interesting. Wasn't it? And she goes, Michael, it, it, it made me weep. And I, we were all emotional, but I said, tell me what your perspective was. And she goes, it's a little bit different. Uh, for the woman than it is for the man, because when the man hears that voice, who's the man looking at the back door for? Right. Come through the bride. Right. right. And so right. a lot of us were sitting there thinking about, oh, this is about the bride. But she said, from a woman's perspective, I immediately looked for the groom. Yep. And yep. I told my wife, I said, man, how much have we got this so backwards here in our culture? That yeah. our eyes are so much on the bride and what's in it for me. And the motivation of the heart is all about the bride. It's all about the bride. And um, yes, we it's are the bride. Even, of it's, even a, it's even a big difference between East and West. Oh, in come on. East, more about the groom than it is the bride. And the West has made everything about the bride. And the man is yeah. an afterthought. He's yeah. like an afterthought. Like he's not even a part of what's going on. And no. we have we have done that and we have minimized that at the same time. And I don't think it's a mistake. Nope. At the same time, we have minimized Jesus and we have minimized yeah. God in our society. We have minimized even just a man and his role in a marriage. And thereby, we have also given, given men who want to be weak an out to not have authority and to not take responsibility and to not uh, protect their family and not to be the men of their homes of integrity, of character, of purity, of strength, of courage. Yeah. And that could take us into a whole other oh. conversation. But, but just getting geez. back to your thought and just wrap it up, the the whole concept of identity, like we have just gotten this so backwards. And again, the whole purpose of James uh, writing this letter is, look, take your eyes uh, and put them back where they're supposed to be. This is a faith walk. This is a faith walk. It's going to affect your tongue. It's going to affect your finances. It's going to affect everything. But if your heart is not motivated by faith, and if it's yeah. not back on the groom, all of this foundation is upside down. And he's getting them right back to center. He's getting them right back to where they need to be. All awesome. right, man, this has been awesome. Um, we're going to close out this part of James 5. Uh, and uh, man, what an awesome conversation. What a great just breaking down the word of God. We hope you guys have been uh, encouraged, but we hope you've been challenged. Listen, I, I don't grow when I'm apathetic. I don't grow when the bar is lowered for me. I grow when the bar is raised. Grace didn't lower the bar for us, folks. Grace elevated the bar to a place that we could not do it on our own without Jesus. That's why the bar is so high. The bar is so high because we can't do it in our own power. We have to have Jesus. Grace elevates the bar and that doesn't discourage me and that doesn't intimidate me because Jesus is all in all. And, and in my weaknesses, man, that's where the strength of God is perfected in my weakness as long as I keep my eyes on him and keep my heart in the right place. Awesome, awesome, awesome conversation, Michael. Appreciate you so much uh, being with us today. It's an honor. Thank you. God bless you guys.